Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. It's Sunday, March the 5th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 61, the Bevo Nordman. (laughs) Shout out to the 1962 Cincinnati Royals of the Walder Sportscast. As always, I am your host, Chris Walder, and you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. I am recording this intro on Saturday. I live about an hour and a half northeast of downtown Toronto, and we got hit hard with snow overnight, or thunder snow, as the weather channels were stating, but we didn't get any of the lightning here, thank goodness. Uh, Mother Nature, man. Saved the big snowfall for early March, just like we anticipated. <laughs> Thought I was in the clear. Uh, I was out shoveling this morning, and, you know, now I'm at that age, too, where I'm pulling muscles that I didn't even know I had. Uh, I feel like I just went through a Texas death match. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I'm not funny. But this is kind of leading to what we're talking about here on today's episode. This is a rare Sunday edition of the Walder Sportscast, with good reason, too, because we are leaning more wrestling-centric this episode. Not completely, but All Elite Wrestling's Revolution pay-per-view is later tonight. And to run down the card with me and also get into some other discussion as well, of course, is my good friend John Alba, who you can check out on Twitter at John Alba. He's an Emmy Award-winning sportscaster and the host of both The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy and Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, the former owner of World Championship Wrestling. Uh, Him and I used to write together back in the day over at WrestlingRumors.net, which is where we first connected, and we've stayed in touch ever since. I'm very happy about that. Happy to have him back on the show for what I believe is his third appearance overall. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if you've been with me since the beginning anyway, but as you can tell... There probably won't be a lot of basketball talk today. I'm a wrestling fan too, so there will be episodes from time to time which have more of a wrestling focus. I'm still predominantly basketball, don't get me wrong. There's a freaking basketball in the logo of this podcast, and we'll return to that next week. So if this isn't your cup of tea, I get it. I respect that. It's still going to be a fun interview regardless, and I really do hope you stick around because John is an awesome guy. And I also said during last week's episode that Blake Murphy would be joining me today. Schedules happen, shifts happen. Uh, I'm apologies to anyone who is uh, anticipating Blake on today's show. I hope to get him on in the very near future. But if you do want some more basketball talk in your life, of course, the return episode of the Walder Sportscast from last week, uh, featuring my friend Amon Adon of Yahoo Sports Canada, is obviously still up. So we talked some Raptors basketball, of course. Got in our thoughts on the All-Star Game and the weekend as a whole. It was a really fun show to do because it was my first in eight months. Again, sorry about the hiatus, you know. Trading wheels were off, dipped my toes back into the pool, so to speak. Good times all around. Check it out if you haven't already. But with all that being said, the best hair in professional wrestling media, John Alba joins me after this quick break. So keep it locked.
Joining me now is John Alba, an Emmy award-winning sportscaster who is the host of both The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy and Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff Podcasts. He also runs the Alba Media School, which you can find at albamediaschool.com, and his Wrestling According to Alba Patreon, which you can join for as little as $7.50 a month. John, I'm happy to speak with you once again, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking time away from the Bruce Springsteen Tour to do this show buddy yeah i appreciate a few things about that um number one you uh converted the american dollar to canadian dollar that was definitely appreciated <laughs> to make it more fit for your audience and uh yeah we're we're taking a break i've you know springsteen's on this big tour right now i've notched so far i've seen two but i've notched nine gigs for this tour so far hoping to add one or two more i don't know something about the number nine is a very odd number and i don't like that but you're living your best life, though. And the thing with going to so many Bruce Springsteen concerts, like how many have you been to in your lifetime? Um, By the end of this tour, I will say that I've probably been to about 25, 26, which for a Springsteen fan is actually a fairly low number, believe it or not. So, uh, I mean, there's people who've seen him literally hundreds of times. He's one of those like larger than life figures in music. So, uh, you know, for me, man, it's like there are a few things that when you connect with the art form. There's like nothing better. I think pro wrestling can be one of those. I think live sports can be one of those. And live music for me is absolutely that. So uh, if I have an opportunity to do that and invest in myself and take that opportunity to make myself happy, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm trying to live this whole make yourself happy element of life lately, Chris Walder. I think a lot of people should do that. Well, and of course, listening to Bruce Springsteen makes you happy. Before we move forward, though, do you have, for someone who doesn't listen to Bruce Springsteen, because I follow you on Twitter, of course, is there like one or two songs that putting you would recommend for a the, newbie like me? Putting me on the spot here, man. I get, you know, the thing with Springsteen is he went through so many different phases in his career, and those different phases connect with different parts of where you are in life. So if you preface that by saying to me, John, here's where I am in life, that's how I can help identify what I should recommend for people in terms of Springsteen. So you, you're freshly married. You know, you got all those things going on. I'd say go check out the song <laughs> Tougher Than the Rest uh, off his album Tunnel of Love from 1988, I believe. Well, the wife will appreciate that. Thank yes. you for the, the marriage shout out, of yes. course. Again, like you said, listening to Bruce Springsteen makes you happy. And these days, we should all be doing things we should. that make us more happy. And you've been someone, especially on social media, who's been very forthcoming when it comes to struggles that you've had with your own mental health and, and focusing more so on being happy, especially during these times. So before we get underway, I just want to know how you've been as of late because you're such a busy guy. You've, you've had your hands in so many different <laughs> projects. How do you, how have you been handling all that? And, and most importantly, keeping yourself happy. Yeah, man, man, you're, you're coming at me with the, the hot questions here right away. Uh, listen, I think that being transparent with things that you struggle with can be therapeutic for some. It can be difficult for many. For me, I do find it somewhat therapeutic. I do feel like, I mean, I've had a lot of hurdles in the last 
calendar year, especially the last six months, where I feel like I should be feeling a lot more down about life, but I really have been trying to take a more optimistic approach to things. And, you know, part of that is you know, this podcast that I do with Matt Hardy, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Matt is genuinely one of the most optimistic people I know. He's always looking at viewing life with the glass half full rather than half empty. And I do think some of that spirit has rubbed off on me in a way, or at least where I'm trying to live that way. And yeah, man, uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I, I encourage other people, if you have the ability deep within to try to view the glass half full rather than half empty, uh, it, it, it can somewhat help you get through each day. But everybody deals with their own stuff in their own way. And I'm cognizant of that. And I respect that. I, I noticed too, when I'm watching those YouTube snippets of you doing your podcast, like how genuinely happy you appear to be on camera and, and being a wrestling fan growing up, you know, both of us in, in that case, now working along the sides uh, of, you know, Matt Hardy and, and Eric Bischoff, integral figures from our childhood that we grew up admiring. There must be days where you just wake up and pinch yourself. And I'm like, man, this, this is my life. Look at all these cool opportunities that I have. I try to remind myself of that. You know, it's not even just wrestling. I've I've been very fortunate. I've I've gotten to cover a lot of cool things in my career and I've had a chance to interview some really cool people. I mean, you know, I've interviewed Tom Brady. You know, like when when you get a chance to do these sorts of things, I covered the NBA. You know, something you're familiar with. It's it's just one of those things where you do get to do cool things. It becomes somewhat mundane because it's your job at the end of the day. But you should take the time to remind yourself, hey, you know, 12-year-old me would think what I'm doing right now is pretty cool. Is it difficult? And I find this for myself, you know, covering the NBA and professional wrestling on a lesser extent, just knowing that it's your job and it's becoming more of your job, like you're getting more into professional wrestling media, of course, does that hinder your passion for the current product, even in the slightest bit, because, you know, you, you can't sit back and watch wrestling with just kind of like the fan's eye anymore. You're, you're, it's a lot more introspective. It's a lot more, you know, you're doing this for work. Can you ever just kind of sit there and watch a wrestling program and take it for what it is without thinking of it as a job? Uh, not really, honestly. Um, I, I, the way that I watch pro wrestling is very different now than how I did maybe 10, 12 years ago. And prior to that, especially since I started working in indie wrestling going on eight years ago now, I I kind of watch wrestling. I use this analogy. I watch pro wrestling kind of like how a pitching coach would watch a pitcher and they're breaking down the mechanics of it, trying to understand, you know, why does this motion lead to the next motion? That's somewhat how I watch pro wrestling for better or for worse. And some people don't really understand that and they don't get why my brain is kind of wired that way. So I'll pick up on things in a wrestling match that a lot of people who aren't pro wrestlers might not necessarily pick up on. But I also might miss some things because I'm so ingrained in the nuance of what I'm watching that there might be some things that happen on the surface level that I actually miss. So it it definitely does change how you consume the product. And I imagine it's like that for anyone who is so just fully embedded in whatever they're doing, regardless of whether it's a sport, pro wrestling, or even their day job. 
is there anything in wrestling today? Because obviously you talk to, to Matt Hardy and Eric Bischoff specifically, um, obviously hosting their podcast. Is there anything watching wrestling today that after having talked with them, you notice a little bit more? And it's like, wow, I never kind of thought of wrestling in that light. But now that I've actually worked with these two, man, it kind of puts it in an entirely different field for me. Well, yeah, I think Matt and I, and I think this was one of the appeals of doing a show with him. He and I have very similar viewpoints on pro wrestling, and we kind of share similar approaches to what pro wrestling can be. So have I learned a ton about wrestling from Matt Hardy? I've learned a little bit. I've learned more about life from Matt Hardy, which has been very helpful for me. Uh, As far as Eric goes, you know, Eric, I've definitely learn to appreciate putting a little more into the story elements of pro wrestling, but with him it's, and it's kind of the premise of our podcast. I've definitely learned more about the business elements and like people will look at a ratings chart and say, Oh, the view viewership was this for this segment, but there's so much more that goes into that. And like why it's harder to sell advertising in this crossover block versus others. I have found all of that to be very interesting. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of different people I've worked with, Jake Roberts and DDP and Kurt Angle and Arn Anderson and you know, working with them, you, you learn something different from everyone. So I, I'm very fortunate in that I do feel like I've gotten somewhat of a well-rounded education on wrestling. I don't agree with everyone's viewpoints, but that's kind of the beauty in art. It's subjective. So when you have those differing opinions, it kind of makes you a little more well-rounded. Well, that's why I wanted you on the podcast today, my friend, because we are going to be talking about your wrestling takes, if you will, more specifically, because we have a major All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view coming up on Sunday night, uh, AEW Revolution emanating from the Chase Center in San Francisco. I'm always a big proponent of, you know, building, you know, as much as you can through television and, and, and making your pay-per-views feel extra special. And with AEW in general, because their their big events are kind of few and far between, with WWE, they're, they're a lot more frequent. They're filling up each and every month. But with AEW, we're talking maybe four or five shows a year. But with this specific show coming up, John, I kind of want to get your take on just your overall level of enthusiasm, because based on what I'm seeing on wrestling Twitter as a whole, it's a lot more tepid. I feel like there's not as much hype in the online wrestling community for Revolution. Are you getting those vibes? Because last year's show, Revolution, it it was a stacked card. We're talking about like Jericho and Eddie Kingston. We got the John Moxley and Brian Danielson match. And of course, the CM Punk and Maxwell Jacob Friedman dog collar match. But this year... Maybe it's fallen off a little bit. What are you thinking? It's funny you didn't even mention the main event of that pay-per-view there, which was Adam Cole versus Hangman Page. Exactly. There you go. And I feel like that show, because I was at that show, I I feel like that show didn't really get as much hype going into it as some of the other AEW shows either. Um, Listen, I've learned one thing from AEW pay-per-views, and it's that they generally always deliver from an in-ring standpoint. So. As far as that's concerned, Chris, I don't really put too much stock in worrying about whether I'll think it's a good in-ring wrestling show because AEW's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt that most of their pay-per-views do deliver from an in-ring standpoint. You've got a mega main event in MJF versus Brian Danielson. You got a Texas death match in John Moxley versus Hangman Page. All the death matches AEW's done including one of which I believe Hangman Page was in, and I think Moxley's been as well. 
they've they've all been gruesome, but they've been entertaining. And and then you throw in a, a couple other matches on this show that again make it pretty well rounded, all things considered. I, I have reason to believe it'll be a good show. It's just a matter of you know, have you built the compelling television leading into it? And and how do you follow up out of it? And I think that that's something that AEW can be inconsistent with. I'll, I'll definitely agree with you on that, because one of the things that being an AEW fan like myself, I could come off as extremely biased because I've, I've admittedly fallen off of watching WWE. I still think they're doing a lot of good stuff, especially with the bloodline and Sami Zayn. And to a lesser extent, maybe like a judgment day, for example, I think they've really come on as well. But with AEW, I'm. I part of me wants to be more critical because I'm with you. I think the television, the builds for certain feuds and storylines, and we'll get that get into that on today's show, has been very inconsistent. And I think that could be frustrating for a viewer like myself, where I want AEW to thrive, but they are making these kind of fixable mistakes along the way. Do, do you think that AEW, because they are the number two brand in professional wrestling, at least here in North America? Again, I see all these like these trolls and like these quote unquote AEW haters online that are almost wishing for the company's downfall, which I don't understand. Do you kind of get that sense on wrestling Twitter as a whole? Because our generation, you know, grew up watching the Attitude Era and, you know, the early 2000s professional wrestling. And now there's this little brother in AEW trying to crack its space. But there's so many people on there on Twitter who are very and almost to an extent overly harsh on the product. Do you get that sense being in wrestling media? Do I get the sense that people are harsh on it? That overly harsh, like they're being a little bit too I mean, hard look, on that's, AEW. That's, that's what fandom is, right? Like fandom, regardless of whether it's wrestling or sports, fandom is tribalistic and it's not right. I, I, I high key hate rabid fandom. <laughs> I, I, I hate it. Right. But at the same time, that's what kind of fuels the passion of the industry, right? And that's what pushes everyone to be just a little bit better the next week out, or at least try to be better the next week out. I think that it's something that is much more prominent among the fans. You know, most wrestlers within the industry all like and support each other. That's generally how the industry is at this point. This isn't the old territory days where everyone was super cutthroat. People support each other. They watch the other products. So it really is something that exists among the fans. And could they be a little overly critical? Sure, they could be. You know, Eric Bischoff is extremely critical of the AEW product. And there are things that I agree. <clears throat> pardon me. There are things I agree with him about in terms of storytelling. But there's also things that I think he's extremely critical about that I, I don't agree with. So that, ri that rabid tribalistic fandom is going to ultimately you hope, fuel those companies to do just a little bit better the next time out. Yeah, it's it's definitely more so amongst the fans that this WWE versus AEW mentality, I'm sure the wrestlers behind the scenes and all of the staff don't look at it in that light, but it's kind of fun to kind of see unfold on, on occasion on wrestling I mean, Twitter, Ricky but... Starks was backstage at the Royal Rumble when Cody won. <laughs> and, and boy, did that get blown out of proportion. Like, who cares? Well, with Ricky Starks, yeah, we could go into it. We'll talk about him on today's show, of course, because he's a prevalent part of the AEW Revolution card here. But I'm just going to run through the card with you quickly here. We'll go match by match, and I want to get your thoughts. Uh, first off, starting with the pre-show. And by the looks of it, as of right now, we only have the one match booked. It's a six-man tag team match, Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers 
uh, Penta El Zero Miedo and Ray Phoenix versus Tony Nese, Josh Woods, and Aria Davari. So like I said, the only match right now booked for the kickoff show. Uh, it appears more so that Tony Khan has tried to condense this card as much as possible. I'm honestly surprised that we're getting a match uh, before the actual pay-per-view kicks off. It, it's it's a much smaller card in on paper than maybe we're accustomed to. Are you excited that we're not getting as big of a card? Uh, maybe it's because of this one-hour-long main event that we're set to get on Revolution. Well, it is because of that. Tony has said as much. And so on the surface, it looks like it's a smaller card, but realistically, do the math the one hour match between Danielson and MJF is probably three matches on a normal card. So you add those things, maybe even four matches. So if you take away that, this would be a 12, 13 card show. So I think this will probably end up being the same length as every other AEW show. There are some prevalent feuds that didn't make it to the card. Obviously I yeah. understand that Adam Cole, um, they're saving his return to the ring for the end of the month to lead into the all access show. But I'm personally surprised that we're not getting some sort of inclusion with Keith Lee yeah. and Swerve Strickland. We did see the tag team match on rampage, um, a tremendous tag team match, but the fact that we're not getting a, at least a singles match or some sort of presence, and they could still very well make their presence known on the pay-per-view. Are you personally uh, surprised that we're not getting a yeah. Lee versus Swerve match? Very surprised because this was a story that they've been building since November. Uh, if not even a little before that. So yeah, I'm I'm actually very surprised that this is not on the pay-per-view card. And it feels like one of the more organic stories that the company has been telling for some time. And Keith Lee went away for a while, came back. They did a big angle. This seems like a no-brainer for a pay-per-view match, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be that. I guess it's one of those feuds that you could uh, main event a special dynamite in yeah, the foreseeable future. Yeah, but I'd rather future. put that on pay-per-view. Make it feel premium. You know, if, if Swerve is going to be one of the top guys going forward in this company, which I believe Tony Khan views Swerve as someone who could be a top guy in this company, you, know, you got to showcase him on pay-per-view. So it, with that being said, and I always do this with like all-star snubs in the NBA. So if you're going to, if I always say, well, this guy shouldn't have made the team, you know, or, or at least someone that I think should have made the roster, I have to take somebody out. So if you were going to add a Keith Lee versus Swerve match to the pay-per-view, is there a match that you'd be comfortable removing from the card? Yeah, <laughs> I'd probably, since we're getting this final burial match between Christian Cage and Jack Perry, I mean, that's been a long feud too, but the way they set up this final burial thing, I haven't been super into uh, this four-way tag team match for the tag team title kind of came together somewhat randomly. The Samoa Joe versus Wardlow match. Uh, that's a match we've seen multiple times, and I feel like you could give that a TV main event if you really wanted to. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few, honestly, I would look to that I think I'd consider taking off in favor of Swerve and Keith Lee. Just my personal opinion. Well, we'll start with Christian Cage and, and Jungle Boy, like you just said. It was originally said to be a no-holds-barred match, but now they switched it at the last minute to a final burial, which leads us to believe that it's going to be some sort of a buried-alive esque match do you foresee maybe like a, a makeshift graveyard yeah being put in the chase center is that yeah. kind of what you're you're foreseeing here yeah that's exactly what i'm foreseeing not not even like a cinematic match kind of what like they used to do with the uh listen the if it's a cinematic if it's a cinematic match then it's definitely a waste of time being on this pay-per-view when you could have had the other ones the other matches keith lee and swerve or, or whatever had jade cargill on this card whatever it may be I, I think putting a cinematic match on this card would be a pretty grave mistake, no pun intended there. 
through no fault of their own, I feel like this feud has lost a lot of steam, obviously because Christian Cage was injured. They had the match with Luchasaurus at the last uh, pay-per-view, I believe, where Jungle Boy emerged victorious. And then they had this kind of story where Jungle Boy was going to be focusing more on becoming a singles champion in 2023. But now that Christian is back, obviously they want to have like a definitive conclusion to this feud. And I'm with you. I'm not... I'm not feeling this kind of buried alive-esque stipulation, and I really hope they don't lean towards it being a cinematic presence. Who do you like in this feud? Because I, I mentioned this in a, on a tweet on Twitter with Jungle Boy saying he did want to become a champion. I liked the idea of Christian maybe perhaps winning a singles title before Jack Perry and then Jack chasing Christian to win his first singles title. Uh, so with that being said, who do you like coming with the victory. In I this get match. your premise there and I understand your premise, but this feud has been going on for so long and Christian Cage has gotten one up on Jack Perry for so long here. You got to pay it off at some point. And, you know, the reality is Jack, Jack Perry has been so start stop over the past few years. He'll get a big win and then nothing really happens. He'll get a big win, then nothing really happens. They don't have anything for him. And then with the Christian injury, it did push things back. I mean, these guys have been feuding since the summer, essentially. So, I'm all about Jack Perry kind of putting a thing, put putting this thing to rest here, especially with this final burial stipulation. Jack Perry has to win this thing. I don't see any other way around it. I'm curious if Luchasaurus returns here and turns babyface and helps Jack make things right. I don't know, um, but I, I would like to see Jack Perry come out with the win here, and then hopefully he's on to bigger and better things. Luchasaurus hitting big show levels of face heel turn swaps. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we've seen that far too much with him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, next on the card here, we have a match, a highly anticipated match for me in terms of an in-ring perspective, but not one that's actually received a great deal of time on Dynamite. It's the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks defending the trios championship against the House of Black. We had that sneak attack on Wednesday. I don't know why they were coming out to the ring. They weren't scheduled for the show, uh, the elite. And all of a sudden the lights went out and, and they got attacked and you see, you know, black and Brody King and buddy Matthews, uh, holding the gold. I think no one is doubting the fact that this match is going to be tremendous, but for something that, you know, especially after the death triangle feud house of black seemed like the logical next step up. Is this kind of one of those feuds where, you know, like we talked about earlier, where the build hasn't really, you know, lived up to the promise on television between these two sides. House of Black hasn't really been too crazy featured here. And in recent weeks, they've stepped it up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I can understand that argument if that's an argument you want to make. I do think House of Black should win these titles here. It's just the problem right now with the trios division is you don't have a ton of established trios. AW at one point really did. And then in the last few months, you're not seeing nearly as many uh, but I think the elite chasing, once again, is probably a good standpoint to build this off of. I understand they just won the trios titles you know, a little over a month and a half ago, but uh, House of Black desperately needs something as well. You know, this is a, a group that th- they've got a great presentation. They've had a lot of hype. I really would like to see them get a little bit of credence here 
and have some gold to carry around. And I think it would add a lot of street cred to them. Do you see the with the elite specifically? Because I think a lot of people would like to see Kenny Omega in more of a singles role, but we understand the fact that they are trying to build this trios division. Do you think if they do drop the titles to House of Black, do you see this feud continuing? Or maybe they kind of branch off the Young Bucks, maybe go back into the tag division. Kenny Omega gets back into that main event picture. I know. I mean, it certainly is something that could continue for a bit, but I know they've been doing those teases on being the elite a little bit where hangman might come back into the equation with the elite as well so there's certainly a story to dig into there you could revisit hangman and kenny omega as well with the little storytelling tropes from the main event of full gear 2021 and the divisiveness among the elite so that's certainly a route that you could go that could help you get into the double or nothing stage up next we have chris jericho going one-on-one with absolute Ricky Starks, everyone's favorite guest appearance at the Royal Rumble uh, for Mr. Ricky Starks. The Jericho Appreciation Society is banned from ringside. And again, again with all these builds on television, we didn't see that too, too far back ago. Ricky Starks defeat Chris Jericho on a television match. And now we're getting this rematch at Revolution. I understand that he wants to seek revenge for all of these attacks from the JAS. This personally feels like one of those like unnecessary matches. I would have liked to have seen Ricky kind of move on from Jericho. He got that big W. I would like to see him maybe get a second win over Jericho. I don't see how the 50-50 booking works here. Are you someone who thinks that Ricky needs to win this match? Yeah, I wouldn't do 50-50 booking with uh, with this one in particular. Uh, unless I mean, I could also see them wanting to do a blow-off match on TV, though, which... Is weird. I'll throw out one scenario in which I could see Jericho winning this. I'm picking Ricky Starks, but I'll give you one scenario in which I could see him winning this. If the Jericho Appreciation Society is banned from ringside, you know what would be a pretty intriguing story? I think if you had Action Andretti turn heel here and help Chris Jericho win. Jericho isn't using the JAS it gives action Andretti something to do because you know him beating Jericho on TV shouldn't be something that just sits out there in the abyss forever you know that should be revisited in some capacity and it's a little different so I'm gonna pick Ricky Starks but I wouldn't hate if we saw some sort of a scenario where something like that happened and I think Chris Jericho just said in an interview that he never wants to beat yeah. action Andretti and well, take he wouldn't that have to back. if he had him by his side so what would your logic be then for Action Andretti joining the JAS? Like that would seem kind of out of left field there. Well, I just think it's one of those things where, you know, Jericho, he earned Jericho's respect and Jericho talks him over to the dark side a little bit. Hey, if you want to, it doesn't have to make card, sense. <laughs> it's hey, professional you, wrestling. <laughs> if you want to advance up the card, come join me. You know, I think that's, that's part of it. But again, that's just, that's me throwing a little creative flavor here to try to justify a Chris Jericho win. I certainly wouldn't have Chris Jericho be Ricky Starks clean. And I wouldn't have him use Floyd. That's been a trope that's been used so many times. But I think Ricky Starks needs to win here. I really want to see Ricky Starks climb in that card more. I mean, he's someone who I think could be the guy to unseat MJF down the line as a heel champion. And we'll see. But you got you to keep heating him up for that to happen. I like the idea of a powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks feud for the TNT championship uh, yeah, down the road. I mean, I'm I could see that. But Starks has also been in that territory already you know 
Yeah, that's that's fair. I think, you know, you got to start from that level and work your way up. He has been kind of grouped with those types of performers. And again, I would love to see a rematch between Ricky Starks and MGF. They did have a, a banger on television. I would like to see that revisited down the line. But another match we're getting is a triple threat for the AEW Women's Championship. We have Jamie Hayter defending her championship against Soraya and Ruby Soho. So, John, I'm, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on Soraya's initial run with AEW because again this heel turn came out of nowhere she's yeah. now aligned with Tony Storm and there was a, a great deal of hype when she first arrived you know adding some more substance to the women's division but now they're kind of going this bully route you know they're spray painting <laughs> Tony Storm's ass they're spray painting uh, yeah. the letter L for loser I've kind of fallen out of love with what they're doing right now. I'm, I'm more than willing to kind of be proven wrong. How are you grading this initial? Yeah, no, I mean, run? I'm with you. I'm with you entirely. It's not really something that's connecting with me. I, I recognize and I give them credit for turning Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker babyface and leaning into that because the crowd's really into both of them. So if that's a positive to take away from this, then that's great. Would I love to see Ruby Soho win here? I absolutely would. But I think Jamie Hayter ultimately retains. I still think the story down the line is Britt going back heel and costing Jamie Hayter or screwing Jamie Hayter in some capacity. So I'm going with Jamie Hayter. Do you foresee, because a, a lot of people are predicting that we're going to get a blood and guts women's match. Could happen. You know, with the the outsiders versus the AEW originals. I like that idea personally. And like we've seen from the women, they're not afraid to bleed. So I think that's something we could see down the road. But you you think that Britt Baker, the the end to this is her turning heel and, and we get a program with Hater? I think it has to be at some point. I, I think that just that's your natural payoff. That's your, your mega powers payoff, right? I mean, obviously much lesser scale, but still, I think you have to lean into that where Brit enhances Jamie Hayter in that way and you get a proper blow-off match between them. But that's not something you have to rush. You know, you can ride this a little bit. The crowd's responding positively to them. So no need to actually go out of the way and mess that up. We also have Samoa Joe defending the TNT Championship against Wardlow, his former uh, Warjo partner. And this this match has a lot of similarities to Christian and Jungle Boy because, again, it, it was off television for quite some time. Wardlow was removed after he had his hair cut off uh, by Samoa Joe. We had that fantastic Darby Allen run with the TNT Championship, but now the belt is back on Samoa Joe. And we just had this face of the revolution ladder match on Wednesday's Dynamite where powerhouse Hobbs emerged victorious. Is that kind of foreshadowing a Wardlow win here? Um, It could be. It could be. I, this is a little bit of a harder one for me to pick, honestly, just because I could also see them doing Hobbs and Joe in proper form. But I think Joe's focus right now is probably going to be what's going on in Ring of Honor. They've kind of set that up. Now, I don't want to get into the spoilers with Ring of Honor for those who pay attention to that, but I think that's going to kind of be his focus here. So, yeah, I would imagine Wardlow probably wins here. they got to find something with Wardlow. This man a year ago was white hot. If you remember, it was Revolution last year was where he won the ladder match, and he was people were all about Wardlow. So I hope real soon that we can get Wardlow heated up again. 
how much of that falls on the company? Because I'm with you. I think Wardlow was one of the hottest acts, not just in AEW, but like as this young upstart in professional wrestling, getting so much fandom. People were digging the Powerbomb Symphony, and they still are to an extent, but it's not nearly as as big as it was like when he had that win over MJF, that squash match. I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I would, I, you can go both ways. I mean, Powerhouse Hobbs versus either one of these guys will be a fantastic match, but I do think that Joe will kind of find himself competing more in ring of honor i think there is an intent to kind of split the rosters a little bit and keep them on specific brands like we, we've seen with eddie kingston to an extent i like wardlow wardlow pulling out the w here and then having his match with powerhouse hobbs do you think powerhouse hobbs does he he's someone who has future gold written all over him do you think it, it's kind of a hot potato you know, if Wardlow wins on Sunday and then Powerhouse Hobbs, do you think they would go, you know, quick title changes like that? I mean, We've seen could. it before with television titles. We have titles. seen it before, exactly. So it certainly is something that could happen. Uh, you you got to be careful, too, because Hobbs is a hot hand right now. People were super into Hobbs this past weekend. And stuff that you see on TV is often infectious from an audience standpoint. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's certainly something, Chris, that you do got to be careful with and writing that, you know, do I put all of Wardlow cooling off on the company? Some of it is some of it's some bad luck with Max walking away last summer. And that definitely derailed it a little bit, especially with him coming on TV and kind of no selling what Wardlow did to him. So I think there's a few different elements. And plus I think they were booking Wardlow from a little bit of a one dimensional standpoint. And he's a pretty versatile performer that's a funny thing this is a guy who can do a whisper in the wind he does swantons you know so <laughs> I, i'm hoping that they recognize that they have a pretty special athlete and a guy like wardlow and lean into him a little bit more fatal four-way for the aew world tag team championship we have the gun club the surprising champions of the division battling the former champions and the acclaimed we also have a jeff jarrett and jay lethal combination as well as dan Housen and orange cassidy who won the casino battle royale on wednesday's show no ftr here I think a lot of people were genuinely surprised uh, with their contract status. Maybe they would have appeared in the Battle Royal and they would have been the heavy favorites in this match. I think all four teams are certainly capable in the ring. I think this will lean more towards the comedy. I don't think the Gun Club are, are going to drop the titles anytime soon because, again, a lot of people predicting that if FTR do come back, the writing is on the wall right there. The feud's already set up for them to dethrone the gun club. Do you do you think that's kind of the way this story is going to play out? Or do you see a surprise winner in this match, Sean? I mean, I could see it playing out that way if FTR does return. I don't know if they're going to or not, but if they do, I could see it happening that way. I do see the guns retaining here, especially the four-way. You have an opportunity to sneak a win. I envision that that's probably how this thing ultimately plays out. Yeah. Credit to Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. They're doing pretty damn good work right now for better or for worse. I know they are a hot topic issue for people, but I enjoy their work. Quite frankly, uh, it, it does feel like a little bit of a strange match that's been kind of put together here, but you know what? I mean, we'll see. Uh, AEW has earned the benefit of the doubt in the sense that their tag team wrestling usually delivers pretty, pretty damn well. So we'll see what comes from this four way. Where do you see this match being on the card? Do you think it could be in the opener? Maybe it's that buffer before the main event? Yeah, I could see it there. I could see it as a buffer before main event. I could see it being kind of after a mid-show main event as well, like one of the, your co-main events that is in the middle of the show. Like if they were to put the death match in the middle of the show, something like that, I could see it following that. 
Well, a match that could certainly close the show, but in all likelihood won't. It's the Texas death match. It's Hangman Adam Page versus John Moxley. John, there's going to be a lot of blood in this match, isn't there? I would imagine so. I would imagine so. It should be a pretty brutal match. I mean, I love both of these guys. I thought both of their promos lately have been absolutely fantastic. They've done a good job building this feud. You know, neither of them is a true heel. Neither of them is a true babyface. There's a lot of character development elements of Hangman Page that you could lean into in trying to predict this match. Like I said, there's kind of the elite hanging in the back corner there. If he were to lose, maybe he's doubting himself and they're there for him. It's a tough match to pick because on one hand, you're like, when's John Moxley taking that vacation? And on the other hand, you're like, <laughs> you're like, well, you know what? He's, he's Tony Khan's Hulk Hogan. John Moxley is his guy. It's a hard match to pick, Chris. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think my gut tells me Hangman Page here in a big endorsement win. But if you were to tell me that John Moxley was going to get the W and they do more character development stuff with Hangman, I wouldn't be surprised either. Do you think we get to this inevitable conclusion if Hangman doesn't suffer that concussion from that clothesline? Like, do no, you I think, think they this kind of was the end game? It. No, I think they kind of fluked into it. And it's a good fluke that they ended up walking right into. So hopefully we see, you know, death matches aren't typically my foray, but uh, it's there. It's not something I foray in, I should say. But I, I look, there's two guys who, you know, are going to give it their all in this match. It'll be brutal. They'll tell a good story. They're both great storytellers in the ring. So I expect uh, what should be a spectacle. And I do think that this match will deliver. My gut says Hangman Page here. But if you were to say, John, I think John Moxley's winning. Uh, I, I couldn't push back against you either. Well, we now have the main event. The, the selling point of this pay-per-view, it's MJF in his first major title defense. I think he, he obviously had the one with Ricky Starks ahead of time. But he's going up against the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, a 60-minute Ironman match for the AEW World Championship. And I think a lot of the eyes of the wrestling world are going to be on Max in this match. We know what Brian can do wrestling for 60 minutes because we've already seen it a few times in AEW but I think in ring wise and I'm, I'm not saying in the slightest bit that MJF can't go in the ring because he's had some fantastic matches I think the one that he had the singles match with Darby Allen is one of my favorite matches in AEW history but this is a real test going against Danielson and I, I think a mass amount of the audience knows in all likelihood that MJF is going to retain do you think there's any added pressure on Max going into this main event, because I think there have been some criticisms of his title reign thus far. And if he can be that number one guy in a wrestling promotion. So I think, you know, there's even more pressure on him going against an established performer like Danielson. Listen, man, I've been watching MJF for six years now, I think seven years, six or seven years. And I've, always just thought he was such a fantastic well-rounded pro wrestler and part of his secret sauce is that he doesn't let the world in on that you don't see him wrestle too much but he is a great pro wrestler very athletic smart everything he does makes sense and i think they're gonna have a hell of a match you know it, it's interesting you said it's kind of a foregone conclusion mjf wins you know, my, my pick would be mjf in this but i also don't think mjf's championship run needs to be one of those things where, oh, he's the champion for 900 days. Like, that's something that we've been seeing a lot of in pro wrestling in recent years where these guys have these prolific, long-storied title runs. But I think MJF's story almost would be more compelling if he did have a setback every now and then, if he lost the championship. And then 
would have to go to deeper and further disgusting depths to get it back. And then he shows more vulnerability and then has to go even further after that. Like that's, I think a more compelling villain arc for MJF than truthfully him just running the gambit here for the next two years. Honestly, I, I really would not hate if Brian Danielson won the championship here and then MJF just absolutely pitifully mutilated him in some capacity to get it back. Or, or you added a different element to MJF's character that would result in him getting it back. But I am going to go with MJF winning this match just because, it, like you said, it's kind of his first significant title defense aside from the Starks match. So I will go with him. I'm excited to see how they lay this match out. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him get himself DQ'd a couple times just to inflict some pain on uh, Brian Danielson here. Do you think this match is going to lean more towards like a Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart classic or something along the lines of maybe when Randy Orton and John Cena had their, their Iron Man match? There was a lot more shenanigans in that bout. I think you'll see a mix. I think you'll see some technical wrestling. I think you'll see it get physical. You'll see some weaponry. I think you'll see kind of a little bit of everything in this match. If MJF retains, and I think a lot of us think that's going to be the case, who's the next logical challenger for him? Do you think it's maybe the winner of Moxley and Page, or do you go right into a program with Adam Cole? I think Adam Cole is probably the next guy up for MJF, especially with Max and Britt Baker kind of going after each other on social media, and Adam Cole being one of the featured guys in this all-access series. So if I had to pick one person, it probably is Adam Cole, yes. And just to kind of close up things here with with Revolution, do you have like how do you envision this pay-per-view going off the air? Is it just MJF raising his hand in victory? Do we have any surprise appearances at the end of the show? Because again, when it comes to AEW, the the golden question is when and if CM Punk is going to return to the company. Do you think we're going to get anything even hinting at that during this entire show? At CM Punk specifically? It, it could be CM Punk. It could be something else entirely. Like, do you think there's going to be a massive shock or a massive surprise that we go off the air with? Because you know Tony Khan, he always likes to leave the fans guessing, kind of going into the, the next week's Dynamite. Could be CM Punk, could be someone else. What do you think this show goes off the air with? I would say there's a 0.0% chance of CM Punk teasery or anything of that nature. Maybe Adam Cole making a save here and you're getting a stare down between them. I could see something like that where you get a hot Adam Cole return in front of the crowd and, you know, making his his desires known to MJF that he wants the gold sucker. So I could, uh, <laughs> I could, I could, I could very much see that being a way that the pay-per-view goes off the air. Are, are wrestling fran fans grasping at straws when it comes to CM Punk? Is it just going to be one of those continued, oh, he'll show up tonight or he'll show up at the next pay-per-view? Like, do you think that's just kind of, it, it should be out of people's minds. It's just not going to happen. Correct. <laughs> Look, you would have a better grasp of that than I'm me, just, my friend. I'm just being blunt and just being blunt. <laughs> well, we'll pull up this audio again if... If it does happen, look, never say okay. never in professional wrestling could very well be the case, but I'm personally excited. I think Revolution's going to be a great card, and even if it's not, 
Tony Khan is one of those promoters where if a show gets a negative reaction, he's the one to kind of bounce back, you know, gather the troops and really get some momentum after the fact. And so the, if this, if the show gets a negative reaction, which I don't foresee, I think the next several dynamites are going to be tremendous, John. Yeah, he, he tends to do that. He tends to find himself booked in the, the corner there when his back is against the corner. He tends to book his way out of it. But I also... I really would like to see a little more consistency. This is something we've talked about on Strictly Business. I'd like to see more consistency with how Dynamite is structured as a TV show. And I I mentioned this on the media call with Tony Khan. This past week, the last segment of Dynamite was with Danielson and MJF. That was the first time in this entire feud that they were in the main event segment. So, well, look, John Alba needs to get in the ear. I'm just saying, hey, look, that's just, (laughs) listen, man, like Dynamite's, Dynamite can be a really good wrestling show. We know that, no doubt about it. We also saw a big dip this past week in viewership for Dynamite. And I think a lot of it has to do with show structure, frankly. it's You know that you're going to get good matches with Dynamite. I think it's just keeping the crowd invested in what your A story for the night is and then have trickling your other stories in throughout. And I think you can revisit that A story multiple times throughout a night. You don't have to have it where you're only seeing these guys once on the entire show. I think it's something that, dynamite would really benefit from just my take there's no one in professional wrestling media today that i would want to come on my podcast to talk the business because you have such a great mind for things john and you have such a intricate perspective working with other tremendous minds and again no one is better than you my friend the best wrestling hair in the business but i said that during the intro which you did not hear but the best hair in professional wrestling my friend thank you so much for doing this show before we sign off though remind the listeners where they can find you on twitter and on the web thanks man i appreciate that always great chatting with you You and i go way back more than 10 years at this point which is insane but i appreciate you i hope everything's going well congratulations on the wedding and everything uh, you can find me on twitter at john alba j-o-n-a-l-b-a uh, you can check out the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, which drops every single Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Matt is just one of the most honest and forthcoming wrestling minds out there. Strictly Business drops every single Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. AlbaMediaSchool.com if you're interested in media training or whether you're an on-air talent podcaster, on-camera, writing, whatever it may be, we work on your skill set. And Wrestling According to Alba.com, which is kind of where I get my wrestling thoughts out and do interactive content every single week. It's Wrestling According to Alba.com. John, you're the best, buddy. Thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate you, Chris. Thank you. And that was my interview with John Alba. Check him out on Twitter at John Alba. It was really so nice to catch up with them. And it's really so difficult to keep in touch with people you've met from all walks of life. But seriously, a decade later, John and I could still get on the mic and have shows like this. And I'm truly appreciative of that. And I'm also appreciative of his ability to fix technical issues because, boy, <laughs> I was sweating it there for a bit. I use a program called uh, Clean Feed, which was not cooperating. Um, He had another system which we could use, and he sent me all of the audio, so thank God for John. Uh, And again, the podcast turned out great, and I I always love having a chat with him. This has been episode 61 of the Walder Sportscast. Look at me posting episodes so quickly like this. It's been a minute, but I'm really coming into my own, ladies and gentlemen. But while you're here, go check out all of my shows over on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and Amazon. And hey, if you'd like to support me in the program, leave a rating and review because it helps more and more people find the podcast. 
We'll be back on that basketball grind next week. So thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.